So, the first thing that I want to do this morning is I would like for you to look on to number four on your notes page because I decided to switch this up at the last minute. I would like to begin by just looking briefly at the study guides and then we'll open the scriptures together. I just These are just a few things that come to my mind that I would love for you to know about your study guide. Throughout, most of the time, the author is using the New Living Translation. Sometimes she'll use others and she'll specify, but I just would encourage you to be reading in your Bible. I highly recommend the English Standard Version. That's the version that I will be teaching from, um, but I just wanted to mention that to you. This study guide is, the homework is divided up into five days, as um, many are, but I love that at the very end of every chapter, at the end of your week, there's always an opportunity for you to read through the whole text that you've been studying for that week and then give some personal reflections just based on that time of reading it all together at the, at the end. I would like to encourage you to also read through your text at the beginning on your first day, just Read through the assigned text for the week and let it soak in. Then do your five days and then finish up with that, that final reading. There is also an opportunity uh, to make a choice about, I would say, your level of commitment to the study. It's given in the introduction. You can choose light, which is just come as you can, do what you can. Basic, which is is going ahead and, and using this study guide as is, but she gives just a little extra help, which I would highly recommend to you in the, in the deeper level of commitment. You can go to abingdonpress.com slash 1 Corinthians, and for each week of study, there's an article that's right there for you, a PDF that you can just read right online. And I read the one, I haven't read them all, but I read the one that's for next week, it was excellent, so I highly recommend that. Basically, I think she's giving us an opportunity to um, get more of a window into the background work that she's done. Um, so, the other challenge that I want to give to you as you begin this study is don't be turned off by some of the things that are addressed in the book of 1 Corinthians. You may come to it and you say, well, goodness gracious, I don't really care about head coverings, and I don't care about food being sacrificed to, to idols. It doesn't really apply to me today. I would encourage you to fight those feelings and trust that the, the word is living and active, and God will have a word for you each time that you're opening the book of 1 Corinthians. Last but not least... I have given you today on the back side of your notes page the words to one of my favorite songs that I think could be our first Corinthians anthem song. So I would like to encourage you to go to YouTube, go to iTunes, pay the dollar for it. I really would encourage you to be singing this song, learning this song. And Michelle has said that the sweet gals who lead us in worship would, would be so kind. It may be offered at some point in your worship time um, this morning. But I just think that this song sums up a lot of what God is trying to teach us through 1 Corinthians. And for me, music just 
um, helps to really seal some of the, you know, the truths into my heart. And so I'm thinking it might be the same for some of you. So I encourage you to look to that song. So here we go. Our introduction to the book of 1 Corinthians. We have, it's 16 chapters long. So there's, my goodness, we're just going to touch on a few highlights this morning. There's, we, yeah, and then you'll have the next two, six weeks to really be studying hard, right? So whenever we open a book of the Bible, the first question that we always need to be asking is what does this book uniquely reveal to us about our God? So as we're studying through 1 Corinthians, have this question at the back of your mind. Who is God revealed to be? And I would say that you will find that he is exalted for his holiness and his grace and his love and this resounding theme that he's a God of peace, that we're to be a people that live in unity because he is at work in our midst. The second question, which is really unique, but must be asked as we're reading the book of 1 Corinthians, is what is the church? Because more than any other book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians gives us this picture of Christian community. And I would encourage you in your time this morning to be using the words of that song and to be asking and discussing this question together. What is the church? And I'm going to give you a little answer that I think that 1 Corinthians communicates very clearly to us. The church is God's cross-shaped community of resurrection people on a mission to reach the world with the gospel. We live in a world today where individualism is so important and influences us much more than we know. Being a Christian is not just about having a personal relationship with Jesus. It's about being part of a community, living in community. We are not to live the Christian life alone. We are to think always in terms of we. So first, together, we're going to look at the historical context of 1 Corinthians. And I, whenever you're opening your Bibles, let's remember this principle that encourages us to remember that there, we need to read within the historical and cultural context And it goes like this. It cannot mean what it did not mean. In other words, the Bible was not directly written to us today in our time. We have to go back and ask the Lord to show us what did it mean to the people, the church of Corinth, in in the first century. And what their culture was like, what they were going through. So we know right from verse 1 that Paul is our author. Many of you know Paul. He's known for being the apostle to the Gentiles. He was a persecutor of the church who was converted when he met the risen Christ on the Damascus Road in around 33 or 34 A.D. 
An apostle, mind you, is one who is directly commissioned by Christ with the message of the gospel. So Paul, his life was turned upside down. He was transformed, and he spent the rest of, of his life, about 35 years, proclaiming the gospel, founding churches, teaching and writing encouraging these churches to grow and persevere. He traveled the Roman roads. He traveled by sea. He went to the larger cities and established churches there and trusted that God, by his spirit, would do the work of dispersing the message into the surrounding communities. He went on three major missionary journeys from the year 47 to 57 AD. He was imprisoned in Caesarea and, in, and twice in Rome. He calls himself the worst of sinners and an ambassador in chains. He suffered greatly. But the beautiful thing is that Paul pursued the mission that Christ had given him on that Damascus road all the way to the end when he was beheaded in Rome in approximately 68 AD. So Paul, our author, the recipient we know is the church in Corinth. Paul had founded this church just four years earlier, and he had spent a year and a half pastoring them. He knew them well and very personally. So this is his pastoral letter um, written to this spiritually troubled church. We think it was written around 55 AD and that Paul wrote it during his third missionary journey when he was currently serving the church in Ephesus. So, 1 Corinthians is one of his earlier epistles. It was written only after 1 and 2 Thessalonians and Galatians. Now, Paul, he was busy. Look at all the New Testament churches that we find on this map. And you find, kind of in the middle there, Corinth. It's on this isthmus that connects northern Greece and southern Greece. Cor Corinth was kind of a new city. There was classic Corinth that had existed for a long period of time, but then was conquered by the Romans. And then it sat desolate for about 100 years, but it was reestablished as, as a Roman colony in 44 AD. It was the third large, largest city in the Roman Empire. And it had approximately 100,000 people if you looked at the city proper and kind of some of the surrounding areas. It was the most important administrative and commercial center in Greece. You see, it was because of its location. Tra travel could be done north-south, and then also from east to west. You could go west to Italy, and then east to Asia by ship. And it's fascinating. There were kind of two ports on just to the west and east of Corinth, and they the ships would, to avoid traveling six days around that whole lower area of Greece. They would get their cargo and put it on carts. Sometimes they would even try to wheel entire ships across this isthmus. Okay? 
and then they could shorten their trips and, and travel could continue on. So lots of goods were traded here, and this was kind of a melting pot, a very significant city in the first, first century. So we would find here Roman laws and religion and culture, yet still Greek religion and philosophy and art and mystery cults from Egypt and Asia, Jews, some Jews were there too, and their entirely different way of life. And then there, were, there was a wide chasm regarding um, economics. There was kind of a small, privileged upper class, but the majority were poor. There had, there's been archaeological work that's been done in the ancient city of Corinth for about the last 120 years. If you went there today, this is what it might look like. And here's a map of some of the things that have been uncovered through the archaeological work that's been done. Corinth was two and a half times the size of Athens. It had a large Roman forum, a basilica that accommodated the law courts. It had the largest tribunal in the empire where the governor conducted business, many shops and temples, beautiful fountains. The Isthmian Games were held here every two years, which is, would be kind of the number two to the Olympics. Okay. There was a hill that rose above the city, about 150 or 1,500 feet above it, that was called the Acrocorinth. And there, there was a temple to Aphrodite where prostitutes served. There were many temples throughout the city. And we get this window into the ancient world. Sexual immorality was rampant. It was not considered wrong for a married man to visit a prostitute. Scholar Gordon Fee says that the church was in many ways a mirror of the city. It was a melting pot, just like Corinth was. There were Gentiles, former idolaters, many who were poor. There was a mix of Jew and Greek and Roman, slave and free, rich and poor. Religion in the ancient Greco-Roman world was very different than what you would think of today. Many gods were worshipped. Archaeologists have found over 25 sacred spaces that were devoted to various gods and lords in Corinth. People would make offerings attempting to appease the gods. And the temples were not like we would think of as churches today. It was not a place where people gathered for worship, but it was, to be, it was the dwelling place of the god. And a few things I want to be sure to mention. Those that didn't worship the local gods or didn't worship the emperor were considered to be going against the grain, against the social mores of the day. And they were considered to be bringing trouble to their community because they weren't seeking the gods and um, seeking their protection from harm or seeking their blessing. Also, it seems as if religion and religious piety existed in just one little compartment in the, this ancient world. And the rest of your life, it wasn't really impacted by the... You just sought to 
do the religious rituals and you're all good. And so it was very common for someone to be considered religious, but then, oh, sexual immorality, no problem. That was the culture that this church was residing in. So let's move on to talk about the literary context briefly. Whenever we're looking at the literary um, context um, of scripture, I just want to challenge you with this fun little truth. Don't be a plucker. And that means don't just pluck a verse out of scripture. You can, I know we, we love to write. This is our food, right? We like to write a verse on a memory card, right? And we cling to that truth. But we must read it within its context. And see the surrounding text, the surrounding chapters. Read it within the whole book. Think about how the whole book is significant to what the, and how it fits into the big story of scripture. So, for instance, there are probably quite a few verses that you've memorized from 1 Corinthians. One of them might be this one from 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So I want to challenge you. Some of those verses that you've got stored away, they may have been plucked. Okay? So I want you to see, after reading through all of 1 Corinthians, what do you think that that the heart of the meaning of that verse really is. Okay? So we know that 1 Corinthians is an epistle. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul. Um, An epistle usually has five parts. It has this opening or greeting. It has usually a prayer of thanksgiving, then the body of the letters. Oftentimes it will have this brief section of what's called paranesis, which is basically moral exhortations, and then it has a closing. What I want you to remember is that all of the epistles are occasional documents. They all were written in the first century, and they were written to address a specific need or a specific situation. So they are not just theological treatises, but they're theology applied to a particular situation. This situation here is Paul is responding to an earlier letter from the Corinthian church, as well as news from Chloe's household. And um, from what he's heard, he's had a visit from some of its members by the name of, these are, wow, great ancient names, Stephanatus, Fortunatus, and Icaicus. <laughs> okay? So just, and just to note, Paul's in Ephesus. It's a six-hour ship trip from Corinth to Ephesus. So he's had some visitors and he's heard some news and it's maybe not so good. Paul has heard a report from Chloe's household that there's quarreling among them. He says, my brothers, I've heard there's quarreling among you. So Paul is addressing the problems of individualism, immorality, arrogance, and their confirmation to their culture. They also are seeming to resist his authority. So he's having to kind of assert his authority and encourage them to end their divisions. And basically, think about this. This church, the church, the whole church worldwide at this time is maybe 20 years old, 20-some years old. 
And this church itself has only been in existence for maybe four years. They're babies in their faith, and they have a lot of growing up to do. So I would say maybe there's, how do you say it? There's going to be a lot of hand slapping going on, maybe. Okay. I have given you a separate page that gives the outline of the book of 1 Corinthians. I hope that you will keep this handy. Keep it in your folder. Pull it back out every time you open up your next week's lesson. Be sure to look at your outline and see where the text that you're reading fits into the big picture of the book. Paul begins and ends with clarifications of the gospel message, um, emphasizing the cross and the resurrection. This book is filled with teaching and encouragement to live as Christ's body that is unified, loving and serving Christ together to proclaim the gospel to their surrounding community and world. Paul addresses divisions and quarrels, sexual immorality, lawsuits, Marriage and singleness, freedom in Christ, order and worship, the significance of the Lord's Supper, the right use of spiritual gifts, and ends with this powerful teaching on the resurrection. He's pointing them back to the basics of the gospel, and he's refuting their misunderstandings about his leadership. If you look with me, I, I am... I'm kind of jumping all over this morning because we're looking at the whole book. So what I've done for you this morning is I've made it really easy for you. I have verses just on the screen, so you can look with me on the screen. You don't necessarily have to be paging all over your Bibles with me. But here is the key verse that gives the the letters purpose from 1 Corinthians 1-2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. There's this clear call to live lives that are set apart in their world, right? And this reminder that all people everywhere have been extended this gift of salvation through Christ. And I think we're also getting this picture. We've seen how influential the city of Corinth is in its ancient world. And I would say that this church is very influential amongst the other churches. It's one that they're, he's wanting Paul, Paul's wanting others to look to. And he's saying, come on, you got to get your act together here. Okay. Gordon Fee puts it this way, although they were the Christian church in Corinth, an inordinate amount of Corinth was yet in them. Okay? And then he goes on to say, they had a number of attitudes and behaviors that required radical surgery without killing the patient. (laughs) This is what 1 Corinthians is attempting to do. And so I say, be brave, dear girls, as we're reading through it together. We might need a little heart surgery ourselves, right? Okay. So then we have to ask the question, what is significant about 1 Corinthians? What does it add to the whole canon that no other book does? And as I've mentioned, it's this this picture of Christian community. This is what makes this letter unique. It gives solutions 
that can apply to churches in all places and times. The Rikens Bible Handbook puts it this way, we were not meant to live the Christian life independently, but to be faithful members of our Christian community, following our Lord Jesus together. We are not just to focus on our own spiritual gifts, but to encourage others in their gifts and service. We are to be content and live faithfully in the situations God has placed us, whether married or single, male or female. The church must guard the integrity of the Christian faith and discipline lovely, lovingly and biblically. And, oh, ladies, if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, we are to be known by our love. As a community, this is our witness to the world. Okay? Now, just briefly, I'm going to run a few, uh, uh, just some main things that we find. The proclamation of the gospel as the good news of God's saving power through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Paul begins and ends with this clarifying message, as I mentioned. We find in um, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2a. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Paul is making it clear to them the gospel is not like any other philosophies of their day, which they hear proclaimed in the streets by traveling philosophers who were kind of the rock stars of their time. Christianity is a whole new way of life. And the resurrection is a key component in in the gospel. You see, most people in this day did not believe in bodily resurrection, so he's having to refute some of that thought. Then we also see that the church is the body of Christ, called to live in love and unity. A hand can't really do much all on its own, can it? We are called to come together and live as the body. Everyone is a valuable member. Social divisions of their culture must be checked at the door of the church. They are to be known by their love so that others may come to saving faith in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 to 27. There may be no division in the body, but then the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Recently, a sweet sister in Christ and I had the opportunity to fight for unity. To make peace between us. And I just was reminded, oh my goodness, Lord, how can I be so selfish? How can I be so blind at 50 years old? And I just want to give you a little reminder. People are offering grace to you more than you will ever know. So pride and dissension tear apart the church community. We live in a, in a country, right, that just seems to be rampant with division. Let the church be one of unity, very different from the world. 
To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Don't be puffed up. Build others up. Your gifts were not given to you for you. They're all by God's grace, and you offer them to the church community so that grace can be poured out on other people. And you encourage others in your spiritual gifts. Stop being self-centered and concerned about your own advancement. The famous 1 Corinthians 13 love chapter is addressing this. Paul is saying, stop focusing on your own spiritual gifts. Make love your top priority. Live for the other. And then the church is the temple of God. Your lives should reflect who you are. Saints. Sinners saved by grace that God amazingly calls it saints. Jews would immediately think when they hear the word temple of the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was where heaven met earth and it was God dwelling in their midst. The Gentiles would think of the temples that they saw everywhere all around town where the God or goddesses dwelt. The church is not a building, but it is a temple where God dwells by his spirit. And when this is mentioned, we must see this as a call to holiness and a call to reach others with the good news of the gospel. Christianity is not like any other religion. Following Christ is not about religious practices. It's about living a whole new way of life. He transforms your heart and every part of your heart, your life. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells among you? And this beautiful call to holiness, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. I think I have a new favorite verse in 1 Corinthians, and it's this one, and you'll get to learn more about it as you're going through the whole book. But it's this picture. Paul is reprimanding them that they are focused so much on their own pride and their own gifts that their worship time is not going well at all. And he says, but if you get it in order and the gospel is proclaimed, then an unbeliever could be in your midst, could be there in your worship time, and the secrets of his heart could be disclosed. And he would fall on his face and he would worship God and declare, God is really among you. This is the true God. It's not any of these gods and all these other temples. This is to be our heart's desire. We are to be saints together that point others to the true God. Last but not least, I want to mention Paul's loving example. He describes himself as their spiritual father. He says, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He says, be imitators of me. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, as I am of Christ. And I would say, it puts 1 Corinthians 13 in a whole new light because Paul is a living example of love to this baby church. He's being really patient and really kind with them. The love that Paul has received from Christ, he's pouring out on them 
And he wants them to live it so it can be poured out onto those around them. So beautiful. Last but not least, 1 Corinthians 9.19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. We see Paul as this man on a mission, wanting everyone to hear the good news of the gospel, and that he's willing to serve and to reach out in in loving ways so that others who are very different from him can receive it. So, today, in your groups, discuss this question. What is the church? It's a cross-shaped community of resurrection people on a mission to reach the world with the gospel. And get ready, ladies, because I believe... God is going to be doing some heart surgery. He's already working greatly in mine. We're going to be learning how to love. We're going to be called to be humble. And we are going to be ones that maybe need a little hand slapping and saying, grow up. I want to sanctify you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for each of these women. I am so excited that we get to study your word together. And right now, even now, we commit ourselves to opening our hearts to you. Let your word be a mirror to our lives. Lord, we want you to do that surgery that we need. Help us to learn how to love more. Help us to really be concerned about people around us. Help us to grow in living lives that are set apart from our culture. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can I use your little mic for a second? (laughs) All right. Thank you very much, Chrissy. And I think those are my glasses. That is so sweet that they've been found. (laughs) When I came up in the front, I go, hey, there they are. Quick announcement for our leadership team. If you can please turn in your...